archetype that's put out there that puts you into a box where you don't have the ability to develop. And a person places you in there. And if you hear it long enough, it is where you place yourself if you're not careful. It becomes a self-described notion, not a preconceived notion, but a self-described notion if you're not careful. You hear it long enough, you begin to believe it. Like a lie, you hear a lie enough, if you're not careful, it becomes your own personal perceived truth. And unfortunately, human beings misjudge and assume the potential of a person. God doesn't. His ways are not our ways. I mean, even his foolishness is greater than all our knowledge and wisdom and all our capability. God sees us to the end. God sees a capability in each and every single one of us that many times people write us off. Sometimes those preconceived notions are our looks. Oh, I've gotten a lot of conversations about how tall I am. I'm not going to be a fighter pilot. I wouldn't want to. My knees would be above my head. Amen. Sometimes we get that preconceived judgment and notion based on our socioeconomic background. Well, this person came from poverty. This person came from riches. And then there's a preconceived notion on the quality of the person based on where they came from. It's a stereotype that's been stamped on our background or our looks. Amen. Sometimes, especially in this last hour, or excuse me, this last year, it's our political views. If you're on the right, you've got to act this way. You have a preconceived notion if you're on the right. If you're on the left, this is your preconceived notion that happens with it. And that is very decisive. A house divided cannot stand. Amen. Too much of that going on in this country. As I said, it could be our background. It could be the way that we look. That it is a self-prescribed destination. A self-prescribed outcome just on these few facts. I think that we've all have experienced that. But I'm thankful God that does not do that. Amen. Many times it is our past and our background. Whether it's a perfect background or a criminal background, it's a a preconceived notion that this is the quality of your character and who you are based on your past. I'm thankful for a God that throws our sin as far as the east and for the west into the sea of forgetfulness. That a God that says what sin when he forgives. A God that old things have passed away, hence he's made all things new. He's made us new creatures. Amen. Amen. But we've all been there when we've come into this church and our background is louder than our character. Because people only look at the background. They only look at your history. They only look at your past instead of the capability that you have as a child of God. You know this is true. It becomes that stereotype. It becomes a stamp of a preconceived notion. Many times it's education. Uneducated to educated. I've heard both sides of the aisles that there's a preconceived notion based on your educational status. Whether it's I I ended up in the 10th grade, do I have a doctoral degree? There's a preconceived notion on the character of the person based on their education. It should be how they love God. And the heart of that person and the character of that person is what matters. Amen. It could be the pedigree that which you have. Some people won't give you the time of day, whether it's preaching, whether it's worshiping, whether it's praising, unless you have a type of pedigree. What a preconceived notion, what an assumption that snuffs out the capability of a child of God. Amen. It could be your geographical location with where you were born. I'm 
Born and raised in Washington State. Now, I came to Texas as soon as I could. Amen. Amen. But there is these stereotypes, these preconceived notions from those in the north and the south or on the coast. What a superficial perspective to apply to somebody. Yes, there's aspects, but that's not truly who you are. It's your character. It's who you are, your substance as a person that matters. And what I'm thankful for is that God sees past these things and the capability is there. Amen. I believe I shared this with the church several years ago. There was this large boulder, and I believe it was in the 14th and 15th century, that was just sitting in a courtyard of a, a monastery in Italy. And it was just an eyesore for all the monks and the friars that were there. They kind of moved it around and said, man, this thing is just taking up so much space in the garden. And so there was a few artists that came by and said, you know what? I can take this nasty, ugly boulder that is just blocking the sunrise and the sunset. That, that boulder is just an eyesore for your garden. I'm going to see what I can do with it. So these artists tried and they couldn't. They said, this Man, I'm telling you, this boulder, this large stone, it is worthless. It never amount to anything. You should just go ahead and throw it in the gorge. Throw it in the valley. Throw it and get rid of it. Just throw, cast it in the ocean. It is worthless. And then there was a man by the name of Michelangelo, very famous artist. They came by and said, I see something in this stone. I know that it's been cast off to the side. I know it's been unwanted. I know there's graffiti that's been placed on the side from the monks. I'm sure it was all scripture graffiti. And Michelangelo said, I see something inside of this stone. Something beautiful. Nobody else could see it, but I can see it as the artist, as a sculptor, as the one that sees what is vast, the preconceived notion of looks. And so Michelangelo spent about five years working the stones, scraping away what people considered ugly because he had to get to the beauty and reveal the beauty that was on the inside. And that was one of the most famous sculptures, and that's Michelangelo's David, one of the world-famous sculptures. And what does God see in us as that stone? What does God see in us when we've been cast to the side, when people have put that stamp of assumption and preconceived notion on us because of the list of I've talked about? A God that sees past the imperfections and the impurities and said there is something beautiful that is waiting to come out, but if it would have the faith to be still and let me carve on it just a little bit, everybody's going to see the potential that I see. I'm thankful for a God that operates that way. Amen. I think about Vincent Van Gogh, one of the most famous artists. You know, Starry Night, everybody wants a copy of Starry Night. Everybody wants a copy of the Sunflower paintings. You know that he never sold a painting while he was alive? Because everybody thought that it was trash. It was a preconceived notion and an assumption to the point where poor Vincent Van Gogh had to deal with mental health and depression. Only if he knew... Only if he knew that people would saw the beauty or see the beauty that was in his paintings, in his craft, that people would appreciate him for the craft and the masterpieces that he created. I'm telling you here tonight that people may assume things about you, but give God time, it will be a masterpiece. Amen. I think about Leonardo da Vinci, the great inventor. Do you know that that guy invented the first tank in his paintings? Wow. He invented the first parachute. I don't know if I would trust that parachute. He invented the first glider. He had some 
mechanical inventions that were in his paintings that still dumbfound scientists today. He had that Mona Lisa painting. And nobody appreciated him at the time. But they look to him now, don't they? Because we don't see the final outcome. And people slap assumption on us. And those preconceived notions. But God says, I see the end result. If you would stay with me and trust me, it will be a masterpiece. And so tonight I'd like to preach this particular thought, the eye of the beholder. I want God to be the beholder. I mean, he is the maker of the heavens and earth. And he said it was good. Amen. So we're looking at 1 Samuel chapter 16. We are coming to a sad, sad time in the monarchy of Israel. We know that Saul had been king, the first anointed king and crown uh, king of Israel. He was a Benjaminite. Uh, Saul was head and shoulders above everyone else. I don't want to be like Saul just because I'm tall. I'm not going to be like Saul. Amen. And unfortunately, Saul got the big head. He assumed. He was not obedient. His kingdom was, we've talked about it before, he sacrificed when he shouldn't sacrifice. He didn't wait for Samuel the prophet. And so in that anger, God tore the kingdom from Saul. So God instructed the prophet Samuel, who was the last judge of Israel as well, said, you're going to go anoint a new king. And Samuel got an instruction from God. He got a lesson from God because Samuel, he anointed Saul and he went through the precepts and the lens of Saul, a tall man, man, handsome man, strong guy. And he went and said, okay, I've got to anoint a new king. You're going to go to the house of Jesse. Okay, yes, sir, going to the house of Jesse. And he went through these sons and the sons were tall and strapping and man, this is surely the anointing. And God said, no. And if we're not careful as we're approaching people in this kingdom and this body of Christ, we approach people in different phases in their walk with God and we assume this has got to be the person or no, this can't be the person. They look this way. They talk this way. Their education is this way. Their pedigree is this way. They never could amount to anything because they don't meet the, the particular rubric of what I think it is. And so verse 7, this is what, this is what God spoke to the prophet Samuel. And Elab was one of the brothers of David. But the Lord said unto Samuel, look not on his countenance, his appearance. Don't look at his features or on the height of his statue. Amen. I'm tall, so amen. Because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as a man seeth. I want you all to bury that in your heart tonight. God does not see the way man sees. He does not have the lens of humanity. Praise ye the Lord. He does not have the lens of preconceived notions and assumptions. He has a perfect will and a perfect way. He does not see the way that we assume. And he has not re- and he's rejected this brother. For he looketh not, or for he looketh on the outward appearance, but Lord, but the Lord looketh in the heart. Amen. And we know that David was anointed king while Saul was still on the throne. And we knew that it would be years before David would assume that kingship. And that is a demonstration of David's character. But that's not the lesson tonight. Amen. If, if this prophet Samuel operated just in this assumptions, he would have anointed the wrong person. But thank God he listened to the Lord God of Israel. If we're not careful, we begin to assume about people in this kingdom and in this church. Not seeing 
the way God sees. What we need to pray is for the lens of God. We need to begin to pray for the perspective of God. Doesn't matter your past, doesn't matter what you've been through, doesn't matter your, your state with God, you've got to love him because that is a potential masterpiece that has walked through the door. And Satan wants to keep him as a stone instead of the masterpiece. And if we're not careful, we feed into that with our preconceived notions and our assumptions. And that is not fair. That is not fair to the person that God has brought into this place to raise up, to build up, to strengthen, to place as the body of Christ. But if we are not careful, we become the eye of the beholder instead of God being the beholder. Amen. We're going to be going to the book of Acts, chapter 9. Very familiar scripture. Even if you don't mind reading, we're going to start, in, start at verse 10. And this evening we're going to end at verse 27, but we're taking a journey. Very familiar scripture. We know that Saul... The Pharisee of Pharisees who taught under the feet of Gamaliel persecuted the followers of Jesus Christ. We know that he had papers to go to Damascus, Syria. He was kidnapped. He was uh, putting people in jail. There was people put to death, people beaten. And so it was a fear and a preconceived notion with the early church. Here was this person that did, did right in the sight of the law but did not understand the fullness and the fulfillment of the law at the time. He was a Roman citizen. Taught under the feet of Gamaliel. He thought he was doing right by the Torah. He thought he was doing right by the 613 mitzvot. He thought he was doing right by this. Only if he understood. He assumed, didn't he? He assumed. Amen. So we're going to come to a man by the name of Ananias. Not the one that withheld from the Holy Ghost, but the good Ananias. Sorry, I have four kids, so the good, good Ananias. Go ahead, Eman. And there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him said the Lord in a vision, Ananias, and he said, behold, I am here, Lord. Okay, how many times did God call us and do we say, I'm here? Kind of like Samuel himself back in 1 Samuel, speak, Lord, for your servant heareth. God calls us to be the encourager for these individuals. Go ahead, Evan. And the Lord said unto him, arise and go into the street, which is called Straight, and inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he prayeth. Amen. So you're going to be looking for this Saul that comes from Tarsus in Turkey. He's a Roman citizen. All right. And I want you to go. Now, what does Ananias say, Evan? Here's this preconceived notion and this assumption. And have seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him that he might receive his sight. Continue. Then Ananias answered, Lord. I have heard by many of this man how much evil he hath done to thy saints at Jerusalem. Next verse. And here he hath authority from the chief priests to bind all that call on thy name. If Ananias just leaned on his own understanding, what would have been the story of Saul? Is that many of us that we have an assumption of a person? Haven't you heard of his background? Haven't you heard of the crimes he committed? Haven't you heard it of the places that he's been? People fear him. He's had people put to death. How can you? And this is Ananias questioning. It would have just been Roger. Yes, sir. But Ananias is speaking in a secular, in a fleshly perception, a preconceived notion. God, you're calling this murderer that's hunting your disciples? Are you sure? And what does God say? But the Lord said unto him, go thy way. For he is a chosen vessel unto me, to 
to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. Amen. God sees past the assumptions. And God sees past your rough and tumble backgrounds. God sees past the mistakes that you've made or the mistakes that you've made just in the last week or two. God sees past these things. He is calling you for a better purpose. He is calling you to be his child. He wants to see past these things. It's repentance, of course, but he wants you to move from these things. And he doesn't want the mistakes in your past to be that that preconceived notion that you never go anywhere in the kingdom. He wants to shape in you on the potter's wheel and you are the clay into a masterpiece. Amen. Now, this is one of the most powerful verses in the book of Acts because anybody that is called, anybody that is called of God should hear the words of Jesus speaking to Ananias. Verse 16. For I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. Amen. This Saul that will become Paul, he is going to suffer many great things for my namesake. We are going to suffer many great things for Jesus' namesake, but it is all parts of the whittling away and the chipping and the molding into something beautiful and a masterpiece. Verse 17. And Ananias went his way and entered into the house, and putting his hands on him said, Brother Saul. Stop right there. He didn't say, hi, nice to meet you, pleasure to meet you, please don't put me in prison. I know, I see that you're blind. No, he said, Brother Saul. What faith? What was the first time that somebody welcomed you into church when you had that background and you walked in? Hi, how are you? So glad that you're here and I love you. But here was Ananias. He could have said, get out. Get out, murderer. No. Brother Saul. Man, what a humbling on Ananias. What a faith on Ananias. And that is what the revival is going to be. is us saying, hello, so glad you're here. Despite your background, despite how you look, despite how you smell, despite your pedigree, God loves you and wants to make you into a masterpiece. Thank you, you, Ananias, for your character lesson here tonight. But many of us assume and write off because you're not into this rubric. Hello, Brother Saul. Man, can you imagine... What Saul felt like, he was walking all the way from that road to Damascus, to Damascus, to this house, to this place. And that was the first kind words he heard since the Lord called him out and blinded him. Can you imagine the encouragement he had that somebody said, hello, brother Saul. What an honor. That's, that's bringing you as a, as a kingship, as a brotherhood, brother Saul. Amen. That is what people are looking for. But we operate in perception if we're not careful. Please continue. The Lord, even Jesus, that appeared unto thee in the way as thou camest, hath sent me, that thou mightest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. Amen. And here's another baptismal example that you want to use in your apologetics and defending the truth of being baptized in Jesus' name. Please continue. And immediately there fell from his eyes as it had been scaled, and he received sight forthwith. Immediately. And arose and was baptized. Amen. Even Paul had to be baptized. Amen. Amen. There's another example. All right, please continue, Evan, verses 19. And when he had received meat, he was strengthened. Then was Saul certain days with the disciples which were at Damascus. Man, this man that was sent to capture them and bring them back to jail and even or to torture or put them to death was fellowshipping with those. Mm-hmm. 
And they loved him and trusted him enough to bring him into the discipleship, to bring him in with the church, bring him into the early church in Damascus. Because they didn't operate in that preconceived notion or assumption that we do in our human frailty. They looked through the lens and the perspective of Jesus Christ himself. That Saul was welcomed into Damascus to begin to operate the will of God. And that what is God is calling us to do here tonight. And that is what God is reminding you of what he is doing in your life. Because many of us are operating blind as that road to Damascus. Living in our past, blinded by our past. But God wants those scales to fall off and allow you to see and move away the blindness of assumption and allow you to see the capability that you have in him. Amen. But it takes somebody loving you. I love you all. Amen. Continue, please. And straightway he preached, he preached Christ in the synagogues that he is the son of God. Oh, man. So you mean the law came to fulfillment. He understood that Yeshua was the HaMashiach, the Messiah. Jesus was the Messiah. Because I believe Jesus spoke to him in the Hebrew tongue. As he told King Agrippa, amen. And it said straightway, immediately he preached, amen. We are going to be going to verse 26 and 27, and these are be our last two verses this evening. Evan, do you mind reading uh, verse 26? And when Saul was come to Jerusalem, he essayed to join himself to the disciples, but they were all afraid of him. What? They were all afraid of him. The disciples of Jesus Christ in Jerusalem and Yerushalayim? Yes. We're afraid of Saul who did all these great things in Damascus. And believed not that he was a disciple. So it was an assumption. It was a preconceived notion. Oh, how many of us are like that if we're not careful? And how many of us have had that happen to us? No, this person, no, they're not apostolic enough. Or they don't have a capability of being apostolic. But God reminds us here tonight that he has made all things new. But, who came? I like this. But, next verse, verse 27. One of my favorite individuals. But Barnabas took but him. Barnabas. Took him. Yep. And brought him to the apostles and declared unto them how he had seen the Lord in the way and that he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. Oh, how many of us need a Barnabas? Barnabas, who was a disciple longer then Saul vouched for him and saw the capability that God did in his life in Damascus. We all need an Ananias, Brother Saul. And all of us need a Barnabas in our lives. Hey, I've seen the capability that God has done in your life. The disciples, the disciples of Jesus Christ were freaking out that this person with such a past was walking in their midst. No, no, I don't believe him. I don't think he's a disciple. I think he's just trying to get in to get us arrested. But it took a Barnabas. It took a Barnabas to vouch and say, I have seen him preach in the synagogues in Damascus. By the way, just on our way over here, we had to lower him in a basket because the Jews at the synagogues wanted to kill him. I have seen what this man has gone through. And Barnabas, who had more tenure, had more tenure as a disciple, began to submit himself to the ministry of Saul. If it wasn't for Barnabas, it would have stifled the ministry of Saul, who would eventually become Paul. Because it takes us believing in that person. Because God sees a masterpiece in the work. Many of us need a reassurance from an Ananias. And many of us need a reassurance from a Barnabas. 
Stop looking at yourself through your own eyes, brother or sister. What God has made new, he has made new. He has made you a new creature. Amen. If we could stand to our feet tonight, we're going to have our musicians come.